Okay, James chapter 4. And I just want to just simply talk about um, um, why does conflict happen and how we can deal with conflict, okay? And I want to just speak this in the simplest way possible so, uh, so that all of us understand it. First of all, let me ask, how many of you experience conflict? <laughs> all right. I mean, we all experience conflict, right? We experience conflict. We have moments where there's a disagreement or banging the heads together or um, unity. Guys, you know what unity is, right? Mm-hmm. Unity is like this. It's like a three-legged race. Have you guys done a three-legged race before? Have you guys done a three-legged race before, Micah? Girls, have you done three-legged races? Do you know what it is? Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just something they do, Yankees do, but it's like you're standing up and you're standing next to your partner and they tie the legs together and you're holding the hand, you know, you're holding their shoulder and they're holding your shoulder. And the idea is, is that the person who crosses the finish line first, that team wins. And so it's just, I think it's a great I think it's just a great example of teamwork and um, learning how to think together and have the same rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that every relationship or every marriage or every friendship that we have is like a three-legged race. You know, we're trying to like agree with each other. Okay, on the count of three, I'm going to put my right leg forward. You're going to put your leg right, your left leg forward, and we're just going to try to keep this momentum. And if we speed up. Like, we have to be on the same page or we're both going to fall down, right? And I think that that's a lot like relationships. And that's like the way it is in our family. That's like the way it is in uh, every aspect of our life, you know? And I think that sometimes we get out of sync. And then, you know, you're putting your right leg first. And they're putting their right leg first. And you both go down. And, and I think that, like, why, why does that happen? And why do people have these conflicts? And why do they have like these fightings? Why do families fight? Why do people fight? Why do we fight? Why do we fight with um, circumstances? And I think that the, I think the answer here is in James chapter four. All right. So let's look at James chapter four together. And who wants to read James chapter four verses one through through? Um, Five. All right. Thank you. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You may spend adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit? He has cause to dwell in us? Okay. The book of James is a book believe it or not, about community or the body of Christ. 
And it's a book about how the grace of God translates or is manifested in our relationships. All right? So James chapter 4 is talking about... Give me one word that James chapter 4, these verses that we just read, what, are they, what, is, what is he talking about here? What's one word summarization? And I want to involve, I want to involve the kids too because I, you know, I know kids are thinking... What's, what's, what's one word that James chapter 4, the verses that we just read, one word that is conflict. conflict. How about another word? Is there another War. word, guys? Huh? War. War. Girls, any, anything? Any other word that you can think of that, that just comes to your mind when we read these verses here? Um. I think passions is a word. How would you describe passions? How would you describe that word passions? What is a passion? A deep love for something. Yeah, a very deep, serious, intense love for something, right? I mean, there's I like something, I like to do this, but then there's something that someone is very passionate about, which they put their whole heart into it, right? And I think what happens is here is what is James saying here about why is, why is there conflict? He says this in verse 1. And verse, verse 1. Like, what is it saying there? Why is there conflict in verse 1? Can you see that? Worldliness. Yeah, worldliness. What else? It's in nature. What else in there? Lust. Yeah, lust. Very good. Uh, by the way, what does lust mean? What does that word lust mean? It's, a, it's an old word that we read about in the Bible. It's also something that's used in our current culture. But I think as a Christian, what does that word mean? To, to want something so much. Covet. Yeah. Covet. Here's a good definition that my pastor many years told me. He said that lust is when I desire something outside of God's will. Okay, it's when I want something that's not God's will in my life. That's good, isn't it? It just means that like... But let me ask you this question. Are there things that we want that you think are in God's plan for your life? Right? What do you guys think? There, are there things that you desire to have that you think is part of God's plan in your life? I think so, right? Friendship. <clears throat> um, you know, these things that we desire to have. And I think that these are things that God puts in our heart and he wants to give to you and me. But it's something that he gives to us in his plan and his timing. And I think that you could desire something that's really good for you, right? Something that's very good for you and I. Like we could really desire that. We could really want something like a relationship or success in something or do well in school or to, you know, to want to have peace with someone in your life. These are things that, that are good desires. And these are godly desires. But I think that a godly desire, something that's good that we want to have in our life, can turn into lust when we want to get it outside of God's timing. You know what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense? Like, I could really want, you know, in my business to do well, my business, or I could really want to do well, our church to do well in our community. But I think, or I could want to be married, or I, I could want whatever. Like, my wife and I, are, we want to buy a camper. We're looking at a camper, you know? And, and like we do with everything, um, we just always ask God, like, is this your will or not? 
And we just let God, we let God say yes or no. Because if we just say, we want this and we're going to get it, what happens is, is that that can turn into lust. And what happens with lust? When I'm living in desires that are outside of God's will, what does that cause in my life? We read in verse 1, right? What does it cause? Cause fights, right? Cause, it causes conflict, right? And when I desire something, and this is the first thing I want to say, is that, and I want you to pay attention because at the end of the message, I'm going to ask you what these points are. Number one, first point is, is that what causes conflicts in our life? What? Passions, right? I mean, these things that we want and outside of like God's will, right? Okay, here's the second thing I want to say is that, um, is verse two, okay? Who can read verse two for me, all right? What's verse two say? What does it say there? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. I think that's the secret right there. Wow. Right. I, I know this is really simple, but I really want all of us to go home with something really clear in our minds. Is that we want stuff, and then we just do, we, we enter into conflict. We cause conflict because we want something so bad. And it causes conflict in our relationships because we don't know how to ask God. Does that make sense? Like, okay, suppose I want to have good health or maybe I want to have a good, you know, good family life or maybe I want to have, I want to do well in what I'm doing or what if I want, you know, I want something in my life. If I don't bring that to God, if I don't ask God and just put that desire before God, then what will happen is that that's going to cause conflict in my, in my heart. Does that make sense? I really want this. I really want this person to like me. I really want to be liked by people. I want to be, I remember when I was in school, it was really like I really wanted to have, like I wanted people to like me in school. And I remember that causing inside of me this conflict. Like, and it made me like, Upset. It made me, what are all these different emotions that you experience? And I didn't know how to just ask God. And I think that we have these conflicts because we don't know how to ask God. You know? Like, like for example, um, we think that we can't ask God for things because we think that God's not going to answer our prayer. Right? Like, suppose... I want something good in my life, and I think, I should have this in my life. I'm, I'm a good person. I don't know why I don't have this in my life, but I should have it. And if I don't know how to put that before the Lord and say, Lord, this is my desire. This is what I want. And I think it's okay to think about it. Like, suppose in our hearts we want to have, like, a godly relationship. Okay. Now, is that, a, is that something that you don't think that God would answer? Is that a prayer that you don't think that God would answer? Like, God, I want to have a godly relationship in my life. I want to have a friendship that encourages me. I want, you know, I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to, I want to be protected. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be in danger. And, and do you think that that's something that God would not answer? I think that God, we just put that before the Lord and say, Lord, this is my desire. And I think it's good for us to define that because if we don't define it, we don't say, God, this is what I want, 
this is what I'm praying for, but I'm giving it to you. If we don't define that clearly in our minds, then we kind of just push it in the back room, kind of push it down under the surface, we kind of ignore it, we kind of deny it, we kind of um, don't allow the Lord to be the Lord of it. And that what happens is, is that's going to create inside of us undefined conflict in our soul. We're just going to be in conflict. We're not, we're not going to know why am I in conflict, you know? And so I think it's just very good that, like Jesus said in the garden, he said, um, could you deliver me from this situation? But then he said, but not my will, but your will be done. And I think that, I think if God really loves us, God really cares for us, he knows exactly what is in our heart. And many times he has put that there and he has a plan to bring that into your life. It's just us allowing God to be the God of that desire. Does that make sense? And I think that in a church or in a community or in a family or in a school or whatever situation we're in, conflicts always happen because we have desires that we can't realize and that causes and that breaks down communication and it kills it kills body life and so this is something that i've been thinking about um because i heard a message um a couple days ago i just listened to a message by my pastor back home and he just said that when we don't have an inner life with god we gravitate towards entertainment we gravitate towards self-gratification we gravitate towards an outward show of the flesh because we don't have a relationship with God. And so that's number two. So number one, what's the first one I said? Number one, why is there conflict? Because of passions, unmet passions. Number two, um, what happens? Um, we don't, why do we not have? Because what? Why we, we don't ask. And I think that there's just, you know, I heard this story, and I don't think it's true, but it's just, hey, Tony, it's a good illustration and I think it's just a good illustration. Listen to this story, okay? A man dies. Okay, he's a Christian, and he goes to heaven. And he's in heaven. And uh, the angel, one of the angels, is showing him around heaven. And he shows all the glories of heaven. And in heaven, there is a part of heaven where all, there's all of these warehouses, just warehouse after warehouse after warehouse. And this man is looking at these warehouses, and he says to the angel, he says, what are the, what's in those warehouses? And the angel said, those are all the answers to prayer that were ready to be delivered, but they stopped asking. And I don't know how theologically correct that is. I don't know, well, you know, but the point is this, is that I think there's so many things that God has for us, but we just stop asking. You know, we just stop asking. We just say, God, okay, I'm giving up, you know. I've been praying for years for this. I've been praying for weeks or days. And this answer is not coming, and so I'm just giving up. And I'm just going to be angry at you. I'm going to be, and that's what happens. That creates conflict. And so we're talking about James chapter four, verses one through five, about where does conflict come? And it first starts. I think when we look at conflict in family, we're wondering like, well, that person needs to do better. That person needs to not talk that way. That person needs to not act that way. This person needs to be, you know, needs to be more sensitive. And I think what we're really saying is is that, that that person is not meeting this need in my life. That person is not being who I need them to be. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that statement? That person is not being 
What I need that person to be in my life. What is wrong with that statement? What is wrong with that? Anybody? so and so important and I'm so glad you I was going to say too because it's their will and it's not God's will and you're not communicating that with the Lord right because we can will something for someone but it has to be the Lord yeah or it's just not it's going to fall apart and that's when conflict happens I think like what you both are saying and Isabel what you're saying is so important that you know that already do you know why because yeah, people are going to fail you. They're going to disappoint you. You're going to have hopes in people, and, and they may just totally dash those hopes. And that's why, and that's like, for example, if someone, if someone says to you, I don't want to hang out with you anymore, I don't want to talk to you anymore, or I don't want this to happen to you anymore, you know why? They, you know why that happens? When that happens to us, it causes all these emotions, and that's because our hope is in a person, our hope is in a relationship, our hope and joy. We've actually given that person the power and the authority to control my joy. And that's not what, uh, that's not what we ought to be doing because no person in our life should have that much power to take my joy and to give me my joy. Only Jesus Christ can have that place. And you know what can happen is that God will disappoint us in those ways to show us that our passions and our desires are in a person and not in Jesus Christ. And, and that hurts, and I'm sorry when that happens, and it happens to us. Uh, situations may change. Um, people may change. Um, but God is always doing that because when you trust a person more than you trust God, you and I are living in such a lower, such a lower version or a lower level of joy and happiness. And... Um, true happiness. We were actually talking to somebody yesterday in a neighborhood back here. We were talking to, Noah and I were talking to this young girl. I think she was maybe, I don't know how old she was, maybe she was 17 or 18, I don't know. And she said, I just started like praying and seeking God in my life. And I'm, I'm and she's a Catholic. And she goes, I'm starting to read my Bible and I'm discovering I'm happier. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. I'm happier, you know, like, and I said, is there something we can be praying for, for you about? And she goes, yeah, with my neighbors. She pointed at her neighbors next door, and that was where the cars were and everything. And, and she said that, that we just have better communication. And it's just like, you know, like when, and this is what James is saying, is that when we have passions and desires in us that are unresolved, that's going to cause conflict. Like, and then, and, and, and that's going to break down unity in a family. It's going to break down unity in a church. It's going to break down... It's going to just break down communication. And then number two, um, we don't have these things because we don't bring it to God. We say, we can say, God, why aren't you giving this thing to me? Why aren't you not giving this? Why are you not answering this prayer? Why are you not? Instead of just saying, Lord, this is what I desire. This is, I, I'm praying for this. I'm asking you for this. I want this to happen. I'm, this is how I see it. And I'm laying it before you and you make it happen. And that's what it says in verse two. And then, 
And then verse 3, the verse 3 is another verse here that talks about the same principle of asking. And I'm going to be done in a minute here. What does it say in verse 3? Can anybody read that, please? We ask and receive not. I think that, like, there are things that, okay, there are things that God gives us desires for. And then, then there are things that, like, okay, God, I don't know if I should desire this or not, but I'm just giving that to you. And then God will always answer a prayer. The answer of God's prayers will always be one of three things. Yes, no, not right now. Right? Those are the three answers to God. God always answers every prayer. And so... Um, and then um, let's look at um, let's look at verse six for a minute. And I want to make sure that um, it says this. Um, who can read verse six for me? Someone who read it. How would you describe someone who is proud? There's six, there's six forms of it in a person's life. How would you describe a proud person? Measure, measure, boasting, um, happy with yourself, That's great. That's very good. Yeah. And the next night we washed away all the rain came and washed away all the Yeah. That could happen, huh? Pride is like there's there's six okay, I want you guys to remember this. There's six I think there's just six pictures of pride, okay? And and again I want to be really simple here. Uh, number one, okay. So what does God do? Does God resist the proud? Yes, he does. So when I'm living in one of these six things, I can expect that God's going to resist me. And we talk about God is loving, God is caring, God is faithful. And yes, he's that way. But when we're, when we're proud, then we're actually saying no to God's provision in our life. And then we're, we're, you know, we're being op- opposed by God. I think it's hard for me to think or as for someone to think, like, <clears throat> would God oppose me, you know? Like, that's a hard thing to think. And that can happen. It does happen in our lives when we get proud. Cyril was sharing with us a couple weeks ago about just, you know, like not being offended and just living in just this, not living in conflict with, with someone because you're trusting God, right? You're trusting God that he's the provider. And like in that situation you were telling me about, like, like God provided when, when it didn't look like, I mean, when, when there's a big no over here, right? And then you just had your joy, your peace. You didn't lose your, you didn't lose, you know, your cool. And then God provided, right? Absolutely. Same, same day. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so number one, what are the six forms of pride? I mean, there's many forms of pride, but number one, and again, I want to just be really simple. Um, when I'm more aware of other people's failure, instead of thinking about the mercy that God gave me, from my own failure, 
but I'm always focusing on everybody else's mistakes and failures. And I, and I forget how much grace that God has given me. You know what I'm saying? And that's a form of pride. Okay, like, <clears throat> like and this, this ties into number two. Um, when we're proud, we have this air of contempt or disdain. Do you guys know what disdain means? Like this looking down at other people. When we discuss their failures versus when you talk of another person's failure, we do it with grief and mercy. I think how we talk about people's failure tells a lot about us. Like, if I can talk about somebody's failure and just look down at them and say, oh, you know, and, you know, and I can be very judgmental about someone failing, like, that, that's just a form of pride. And, and when we think that way, I think at that moment, we're just resisting the grace and the mercy of God. And we're not fellowshipping with God's love. And when someone fails, and you know what? God may allow someone to fall right on their face, right in front of you, so that you can be a part of God's solution in that person's life by you just giving them mercy and just walking them through that failure and not judging them. Because if I judge somebody, then the Bible tells me in Galatians chapter 6, I am going to do the same thing. I'm going to eventually fall in that same thing that I'm judging somebody else about. You know what I'm saying? That's number two. Um, You know, when someone fails, and that's like when someone... When, you know, when a big-name Christian fails in Christianity in America, I don't like reading about it. I just don't want to know about it. Like, and, the per- and the reason is, is because, like, I don't know, I just feel like, who am I to be educated about somebody else's mistakes? Like, why do I need to know that? I mean, if it's somebody in my life and it's affecting me or my family, then, yeah, I probably should know. But, like, I want to just, I don't want to be so educated about everything that's wrong about somebody because who am I? Am I, am I like the judge? And that causes pride. Uh, number three, when we're proud, <clears throat> it causes us to separate from people when they speak evil of you or criticize you. Okay? Instead of me sticking with that person and walking with them through the growth process. When someone criticizes us, like, I, that, that, help, that has a lot to do with, you know, um, when someone criticizes you, the way we respond to that has a lot to do with how we understand pride. If I'm a proud person, I take myself so seriously and so intensely that if someone like criticizes me, I blow up. I explode. I want to just throw them under the bus. I want to just see them destroyed. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just, that's pride. And I, and, and I think it's important to understand <clears throat> that, that when someone, when someone criticizes you, <clears throat> remember, it's not you that they're criticizing. Nine times out of ten, it's something that's inside of their heart that they're at war with, and you are just reminding them of a conflict in their own soul. For example, if someone didn't have a good parent, and they grow up, and then they, they look at the relationships that they have with other people, and they're hurt by their parent inside of them, and they see another situation with another person, and that reminds them of that parent, they react. And you're like what's like why are you reacting at me like that why are you criticizing me like that and it's nine times out of ten has nothing to do with you they're just reacting to something that they remember about their parent and i think if you're in authority then that like as a parent as a teacher or a pastor or whatever or as a you know teacher um to remember that because don't take it so personally stick with people and just just walk with their growth
Yes. Number four, pride insists on its point of view in everything, <laughs> including their belief systems. Why? It's because it's directly connected to their ego. Like, if you don't agree with me politically, then it's so, I mean, this is an illustration. If someone doesn't agree with me politically and I get angry because they didn't vote for the person that I voted for and I get angry about it, like, that's a problem that I have. You know, that's a problem that I have. Like, you know, I want to be dogmatic about what the Bible says and, and a dogmatic about God's things. And, and, and I have to understand that if somebody contradicts or, or disagrees with me and I get really offended about that, I need to understand that, that is this connected <clears throat> to my ego or am I, you know, can I just trust God to correct somebody? You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that that's important. Pride insists on his point of view. It means that someone can disagree with me and I don't have to say, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. But I can just say, you know something? We disagree in that area. I love you, I respect you. And may God show us what the truth is. You know what I'm saying? And, and I just think it's important that, um, that, that we just major with the things that are major in the Bible. Uh, number five, um, pride will always want to confront because pride loves a fight to win or it will not confront because it's afraid of contradiction and controversy. Humility confronts because of the necessities of love. So pride can be one of, one of two ways. Like I got to confront that person because I got to win. I got to always win in that argument. I was got to win. Or pride can be, I'm not going to confront that person. I'm not going to have that discussion because because I'm afraid, um, like I'm afraid of conflict. Do you know what I'm saying? Humility is like when I look at that person and I have, a, I have this compassion and this desire to confront because of the <clears throat> necessity of love. <clears throat> like someone needs to say something to that person because they're destroying themselves. Does that make sense? A proud person is going to like, no, I don't want to get into a confrontation with that person. Someone who walks with God in humility is going to, is going to feel a necessity of love to communicate. Like, you know, I don't know, maybe you see something with your kids in school and you need to communicate to the parent, but that's not always fun at all, a communication with a parent, like, you know, or, or a friend or a situation. Like, that's not fun. But if we look at it from the point of view of the necessity of love, like this person, there's a 911, they need to be loved, they, we need to communicate, and I'm going to humble myself and not worry about how I feel and just go talk to that person because there's a necessity of the love of God there. Number six, a proud person. And this is really important. I want to finish with this, okay? And this ties in with the first thing that we said at the beginning of the message. Listen to this, okay? And I thought this is such a good point. A proud person is so filled with self-pity. You guys know what self-pity is, right? Feeling bad about myself. Woe is me. Like getting down about, you know, a, a, pers- a proud person is so filled with self-pity and unhappy with life because they're so filled with themselves. <laughs> you ever met somebody that's always criticizing everybody and just downing everybody and downing everything in life and they're so unhappy with life? Why? Because they're, they're so filled with themselves. And why are they filled with themselves? Number one, there's three, there's three reasons, okay? And, and if you guys just, this is an important point. I want you to remember this. They're so filled with self-pity and happy with life because they're so filled with themselves. Number one, 
they are so sure they know how their life should go. My life should go this way, and it's not. <laughs> and I'm so filled with self-pity, right? And I just wanted to withdraw. I want to just sit in my house. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm so, and that's kind of arrogance, isn't it? Like, I know how my life should go my way. Like, what is wrong with that statement? Like, I, number one, I don't know. And it's not my life, right? And I have no idea where the way of my life should go, you know? Like, God gave me the woman that I married because that was the best for me. And I'm so happy. It takes, like, I'm in, I'm, we're nearing year number 30, and I'm discovering, like, this is exactly what I needed, you know? And I think that when you let God choose for you, then that's when true happiness is. And number two, so they're filled with, they're filled with self-pity because they, they are so sure they, they know how their life should go. I should have done this. This should have happened in my life, and it didn't. And this is the way it should have gone. And so I'm unhappy. Number two, they deserve, they, they say, I deserve a better life and better circumstances. Like, I don't deserve this, right? I don't deserve this. And then number three, humility understands it doesn't deserve anything and that it's all a gift and that it doesn't know what is the best for itself. Only God knows. They don't live in self-pity. And so I just want just to end with that, is that, like, when we take every desire that we have and we don't harbor it and live in this unresolved state, then we're not going to live in internal conflict. Are there things that I want to see happen in my life? Yes. Am I at unrest about it? Sometimes. But I know what to do. I know what to put it before the Lord at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, this is what I think, I th- this is what I think should happen. This is what I'd like to see happen. This is the way, like even biblically, it should happen. But I'm just laying it at your feet because if I don't do this, I'm going to live in eternal, I'm going to live in an internal conflict and I'm not going to be a happy person. I'm going to start living in self-pity. And number two is that when we do that, we're not living in this passionate reaction about everything. Like, you know, my latte at Starbucks was not exactly the way it had two pumps of sugar instead of one. And that's the end of my day. I'm going to blow up and yell at everybody. You know, that's America, right? We just live in this crazy society where, you know, somebody cut in front of me on the highway, you know, and it's like, how dare they do that? It's like we live that way because we are not present, we're not laying down our, our desires at the cross. And when we do that, there's this peace that comes in and we can say, God, this is what I want in my life, but I'm just, I'm just putting it before you and I want you to be the God of my desires. Um, <clears throat> And so God has to empty us out. God has to empty us out. I want to close with a quote by F.B. Meyer. And he's just a writer that I like to read. He's, he was a writer in the 1800s. Uh, just a really deep guy, and I enjoy his, his devotion and his walk with God. But let's, I want to read this to you uh, about grace. Because when we have desires, and when we have these wants and these internal conflicts... And God is pouring us out and we feel this void inside of us, then grace begins to work in my life. And this is what this is what grace does. Listen to this. Grace like nature abhors a vacuum. Does that you know what that means? Like if you have a sealed container, right? And it's sealed, and then you open the container, if the pressure outside is is different than the pressure on the inside of that container, what's gonna happen? It's going gonna, it's gonna to equalize, right? And you're going to hear like this hissing sound, like when you open up a Coke bottle or something. 
there's pressures different. And so nature abhors, abhor means like it does not allow or does not, it just does not want. And so nature abhors vacuum. So when there's a vacuum, <clears throat> it has to fill it and equalize it. So this is what grace does. Grace is like nature. It abhors a vacuum just as the cold, fresh air will rush in to fill an exhausted receiver as soon as it has a chance to enter. So does the grace of the Holy Spirit enter the heart that can boast of nothing but an aching void. And so when we feel voids in our life, that's a good thing because that means grace is going to be rushing in and filling that void. There may be no ex, there may, there may not be, there may not be ecstasy, no rushing of wind, no fiery baptism, but nevertheless, the Lord whom you seek shall abundantly come to his temple. In Malachi 3, verse 1. Amen. So do we have any questions or any comments about uh, anything we just shared here? I'd like to read some scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay.